0: My name is Mark Kelly and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. you join us as we present the third of our big questions of the year what does Jesus think of women Might want to use it.
1: Uh, good morning everyone it's nice to see you. Um, I'm a bit nervous, I haven't spoken like this for about, I think maybe three years, something like that, so I'm a bit out of practice, so please be patient with me, um, and uh, I will do my very best to be compass and understand what I'm saying. Um, so as as Mark said, um, as Mark said, I'm Hannah, um, I've been coming to this church about five and a half years, uh, I'm married to Ben, and I have little Christopher who, I'm sorry, for some reason Picnic was a good place to have there today, so I hope you didn't mind that. Um, and I worked for the Sarwishan Army doing youth work in Beeston, um, and I, yeah, I love being part of this family. So um, so um, when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about, um, like women and sort of our role has been something that's been on my heart for a long time, I am a woman, and, um, uh, and when you meet different people with different views, it kind of gets you thinking about what you think about it and what God thinks about it. Um, and... When, so when I was thinking about today, I was trying to think, well, what, what, is, what is it I want to talk about and why am I wanting to talk about it? And I think really it stems from um, the fact that I think although we have more rights as women in this country than probably ever before, legally we probably have as many rights as men and um, we have the right to vote and, and different things, there's still quite a lot of injustice I think in terms of uh, what women can do and how we're portrayed. And um, Uh, There's some examples, I think, on the screen. Um, So there's only three out of our 22 cabinet members are women. Uh, There's still high levels of sexual assault against women in this country. Um, And the media widely um, presents mainly male kind of voices. So um, I think it says up there, there's only 20% of British radio stars are hosted by single solo solo women presenters. Um, But then what really is worrying me at the moment is how women are portraying themselves. So um, uh, there's a, a, a high level of, sort of pop stars, female stars, um, who are sort of over-sexualizing themselves, sort of saying it's empowering themselves, but to me, it, it just to see that y- our young girls are watching these women portray themselves in such a way is really upsetting me. Um, and there's a high level of pressure for women to look a certain way, um, which is really unrealistic and isn't true. And, um, and also sort of like the, the grounds of what is acceptable in in sexual behavior is also, again, I think really upsetting me. So I think all that stems from a lack of understanding of what women's image is and who we are made in God. And so that's why I want to look into that. Um, And so I've got a short video, Um, it's it's Dove. Dove do some amazing things in self-esteem on looking at what women really look like and trying not to sell their products through false kind of imagery. And this is um, a DVD they've produced that I think is really powerful, so. That inspired you. Look online, they have a lot of uh, resources. If you're a mum with a young girl, they also have a lot of stuff you can do with your daughter um, on its self-esteem. Um, but yeah, like, I think it's a real issue, the way that women are being betrayed and how we portray ourselves. Um, so I'm going to look to God of what he thinks of us and uh, the role he thinks we should play. Um, so I think, apart from the secular issues, I think the church was, has very split opinions of uh, a woman's role. I think when you go to different congregations and, and different denominations, you can see um, some women are given complete equality and others are still given quite segregated, kind of submissive roles to their women. Um, and within the city we have um, some churches that have quite uh, different teaching on marriage than we would have, and quite different teaching on uh, women's role in the church. And uh, the reason I chose the, the choice of the phrase, well, I think it was phrased even harsher than this when the, when the girl asked her, but we asked our young people at Beeston um, what would they like to know about Christianity? And one of the girls said, I think she said it like this, I can't remember completely, but I think she said, why does Jesus hate women? And to me that was like, oh, (laughs) this girl does not know much about Christianity, but that is one of the things she thinks she knows about Christianity, is that Jesus does not like women. So I think it's really important that we know what Jesus thinks about women and that we can engage and empower our young people and and children. Um, And I'd really like to stress this is not a message for women. It's a message that I hope will empower us all. One, to release each other, and two, to look at our image in God. so, <laughs> so um, some of this teaching comes from some stuff I looked at on my theology degree, um, but hopefully I've brought some more sort of spiritual elements to it. But I'd just like to stress that I couldn't cover it in my dissertation. There is so much more than uh, what I'm saying now, um, verses and things you can look at that I couldn't fit into the time we have now. So, um, I'm going to start at the beginning in Genesis. And hopefully I have, um, so do I have any young girls who are going to come and read? Or oh, have Kathy? She's a lovely young lady. I'd just like to—I think we should applaud Kathy. As she comes up. I think, as one of our leaders, she is stepping forward into great stuff. And I just like to say thank you that she's inspiring us. This is the right one, isn't it? Then God said,
0: yeah, is it right? yeah.
1: "Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they have—they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals." Um, okay, so first and foremost, all of us are created in God's image. doesn't distinguish that there. It says all of us are created in God's image, which I think is a, a pretty amazing statement to be made in our creator's image. Um, I watched Noah the other day as our life group, and um, the one thing they said all the way through is we are created in God's... Uh, it didn't, they didn't use God, but they used creator, which we know is God. So uh, that was good. Um, so the second... Uh, version of the creation story of man and women is found in Genesis 2 which someone else is going to come read Esther another wonderful woman let's give her a round of applause okay this is um from Genesis 2 and it's um verses 18 to 25 the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him but for Adam, no suitable help was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's rib, ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Brilliant. So um, I think this version sometimes um, can be a bit more confusing in terms of the quality, um, and um, I think that's only the case if you take it very literal in terms of um, the sort of order. Um, sorry, let me just get where I am. Um, but. Uh, the element, and the other element can be um, the, the problem of helper. Um, so that word helper, I think, sometimes can be taken as a lesser role, but actually um, it's found in Psalm 10, 14, Psalm 54, verse 4, and Hebrews 13, verse 6, to describe God as our helper. So I think if God can be described as helper, or the Holy Spirit is quite often described as helper, then I think that that is a really powerful and uh, meaningful role that is actually about partnership, partnership, not servitude. Um, And I think the other part of this uh, story that I think is also, again, sort of been highlighted and depicted as as sort of almost demonising women sometimes is um, the fall. Um, And I think, shall I just read? I'll just read that one. Um, So it's found in Genesis 3. It says, the Lord our God said, the serpent, because you've done this, I curse you above uh, above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat from the dust for all the days of your life. And I will um, enmity between you and the woman and she will, and your offspring and hers. She will crush your head and you will strike at her heel. Now, I think this, all of the people in that um, bit of the Bible, the woman, the man and the serpent are all cursed and punished because of what they've done. But the thing I find really exciting is the woman's given the role of her offspring crushing the serpent's head. Now, the offspring of Mary was Jesus, and he crushed the devil's head. She, they, so I think in that role, though she is she is chastised, she is given punishment, I do think the woman's given a great role and power that actually one day her offspring was going to defeat the serpent. Um, so I think... Yes, they all have blame, but I think sometimes the way that women's portrayed in that story is not maybe true, and uh, something to be watched of. So, let's go to the ultimate. Oh, well, I was just going to say, this picture is a bit of a joke. Me and my mum found this in a shop, and I don't know if you can see it, but it says, first God created man, and then he had a better idea. So, <laughs> I'll leave that with you. <laughs> um, okay, so Jesus, the revolutionary. Um, so, looking at Jesus' interaction in the New Testament, um, we have to understand his context. Um, Jesus' approach to women was not proceeding in, con- in his contemporary situation so there was no one acting as Jesus did with women um, women say have a stronger position than ever before so I think sometimes when we look at Jesus we think well why wouldn't he do that but there are so many reasons why he wouldn't have done that there are so many things that women um, were subjected to in the context he was in um, in that time um, women were seen as, as mainly corrupt so this kind of image of Eve I think sort of goes through the Old Testament in terms of um, if a man looked at a woman, it it was a sort of lustful thing. And instead of it being the fault of the man in his lust, it became that the woman needed to be segregated. She needed to be um, diminished in her role and what she could do. Um, Also seen as unclean. So there's lots of ritual things about touching women certain times of the month, lots of technical things. Um, So again, she was segregated. Um, and so this meant that they you know they weren't taught they weren't allowed to be in certain places um, they had no rights in terms of marriage or um, basically you went from belonging to your father to belonging to your husband um so that, you know the fact that jesus spoke in the way he did in so many of the situations in the bible is really like outstanding um but if this if this was the case if jesus saw them as so intrinsic why were they not part of his 12 well he he was radical, but he also had to be in his context. He had to relate to people and be recognized as a rabbi. And if he wasn't recognized as a rabbi, then his ministry would be dismissed. So I think, although he worked within his context, he did enough for us to see what he thought women should be treated like. Um, And so I think the fact that there isn't a 12, um, I don't think that matters. I think there were apostles and disciples that were women. Okay, and, and to the point where um he sort of says again with the lust thing, he sort of says that in Matthew 5, verse 28, Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at women lustfully has already committed adultery in her in his heart. So again, it puts the emphasis on the man who, or whoever, you know, not just men are lustful, but whoever creates the lustful thought, that is their problem, not the women's. And this meant that the women could be included in his inner circle. And when we look at the disciples and Jesus, their ministry, although obviously things were put against him in terms of false allegations, no allegations in terms of the women in their, their contact with were. So it shows that the disciples were able to interact with women without there being any sin, and that that was acceptable if, if, if it was done in the right way. Okay, so women in the parables is our next slide. Um, so not only women could not be taught to, but they were not used in terms of um, being used as an illustration. And the fact that Jesus does this um, shows that he thought they were an integral part of creation, that they were necessary and significant. Um, he does not try and elevate the women in the stories he uses them in in, in the parables, um, but he puts them in standing in society as important and um, as, a, as an example that they can be used as an example. So one of the most uh, there are some really key encounters in the in the New Testament with women. Jesus has, for example, the Samaritan women and Martha, um, and. All the way through the New Testament, some call it sort of the um, the Messianic mas- 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 let- secret, that actually Jesus doesn't always outrightly say, I am the Messiah and I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise from the dead. But, and his disciples seem quite clueless, right the way through the New Testament, this is gonna happen. They were seen quite shocked, um, even though he sort of is laying it out to them in different ways. But the people who seem to get it the most are people like Martha and uh, Mary Madeline. Um They quite often point out when he, they're asked, you know, who am I? They say, you are the Messiah. Um, and Jesus, you know, he didn't just heal women, he allowed them to touch him, follow them. He spoke without restraint to women and with women. Um, in, in John 4, with the encounter of the Samaritan woman, um, he has a clear representation of the covenants come. Um, he engages with salvation, and he has a real conversation with that woman. There's lots of, uh, I won't go into all of them because, I could spend the whole time talking about the Samaritan woman, just one of my favourite uh, women in the Bible. But there's loads of things that he shouldn't do in that situation, that he breaks those barriers, he goes and talks to her. And he doesn't just talk to her about mundane things, he talks about that the, we're going to worship in spirit and truth, that I am the Messiah. And he brings that true message of uh, insight um, and encounters with them in the way that the disciples sometimes just, as I say, just seem to go over their heads. Um, and not only does she have this encounter she goes from being uh, seen as quite sinful into him you know speaking right to her, her soul and her heart and who she is into going to the whole village who then come back and um, are saved and uh, you know the evangelism that happens there the faith you know time and time again Jesus encounters faith and he blesses it and he uses it and i think with the woman at the well she, you know she just takes on everything he says and she just blurts out to the world and i think that's really a real display of the kingdom uh, so an, another key moment um that jesus has is with uh, mary martha and lazarus and in john 11 verse 27 jesus said, um he asks who who i am and he says yes lord i believe you are the messiah the son of god who is to come into the world and this statement really echoes a statement that Peter says. Um, Peter is maybe the foundation of the church. He's the rock. And um, quite often people use what he says uh, in Matthew 16, verse 16, um, as sort of the pinnacle moment where he stands out and says who, who Jesus is. And actually, this reflection, this kind of parallel uh, statement from Martha uh, is is kind of the same kind of moment oh, sorry, it's Mary. Um, that that she's stating who jesus is and um, declaring it and uh, sort of the same sort of parallel could have been put towards what peter says again we have uh, another key encounter with the anointing of jesus feet um and it's in three gospels so it's in matthew 26 verse 6 uh, to 13 uh, mark 4 and john 12 And again, Mary is perceiving something of what is to come, the anointing of his body when he dies. She is perceiving that and anointing his body while he's alive. And um, the disciples re-chastise this moment. They kind of uh, try and take her away. And and Jesus says again, no, she's perceiving something here that you are not. She is seeing beyond what is happening, and she is really um, loving me and serving me in a way that you just don't understand. and so one of the most intrinsic moments and one of the um, key parts of our faith is the cross and resurrection. And again, the women are there, aren't they? They're not hiding, they're not lying. They, they are there at the cross and they're there at the resurrection. And um, for their accounts to have been written down is a pretty amazing. Again, we, we, we forget that, you know, we have women authors, in fact, when you look at someone like Jane Austen and, and uh, even Bitch Potter, they weren't allowed to write in the way they did. They quite often did like pseudonyms, so it's only been the last couple of hundred years that women are beginning to write things down, but the fact that these women, 2,000 years ago, that their voices were recorded and, um, and believed is astounding. Their account was, uh, was never believed. If they said something happened in their society, that would not have been believed and taken as truth. Um, So the fact that the women were, one, told the message and then presented it fearlessly is an incredible thing. So from the story of the resurrection, we can see that women were not only witnesses but participants in all levels of the ministry. They heard the word, they believed it, they bore witness, they made converts, they had authority. So they were, to me, astounding that they they, in their context, went beyond everything. They had barriers to them and um, stepped forward into uh, real truth. So although uh, Jesus is very clearly interacting with women at a new level and has included them, I think, in his wider group, um, we then need to look into what happened in the early church. So we're going to look a little bit about Paul said. I, I used to I think mainly from things people told me, not like Paul very much, had a real kind of image that Paul was this woman hater, and, uh, and actually when I look at what he says, I think we've got him wrong. I think he's actually a great believer in equality, a great believer in women, and um, there's, there's lots of bits I could sort of show you that in, um, but I'm just going to look at a few. So um, when the Holy Spirit came in the early church, it was clear that the gifts of the spirits were universal. They didn't just fall on the men, they fell fell on the women. Um, Meaning that class, gender, ethnic backgrounds no longer seemed important. They released women to new statuses so they could take an active role in the church. Luke and then later Paul both point to women for their hospitality, their financial giving. They heavily supported the foundation of church. In fact, Luke links their support to the spread of the church and indeed its very survival to the activity of women. Um, there was quite a few quite rich women who sort of paid to finance the early church. They met in their homes um, and they're mentioned um, briefly, but quite a few times in the uh, different epistles. In Galatians 3:28, Paul seems to put women and men in equal standing in the new covenant in baptism. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul saw men and women in relation of their unity in Christ and not necessarily in terms of their relation to each other. Jesus' emphasis is in the unique bond between man and woman, which is ordained and originated in God himself. For woman as man came from man, and as man is born of woman, but also everything comes from God. And um, I was just telling Kathy at the back, I'm not completely sure what this means, but I'm going to give it out to you there. Uh, when I was looking at the Genesis verses, it said that the word for rib actually translates as life. And I think when we look at that verse where it's talking about man giving life and woman giving life, I think it's almost, instead of it being like a hierarchy, it almost seems to me like a circle of life and love and unity with, with the creator. Um, so yeah, I'm, as I say, I haven't completely worked that out, but I think it's quite interesting that rib meant life. So in Ephesians 5.23, um, so this verse is quite often given as sort of a, a justification as men as head of the household. So we're looking a little bit more at marriage now. It says, for a husband is head of his wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is saviour. Um, so I think one of the key things, I've got the quote on the, on the board hopefully, have I? No, I think next one. Oh, no, it's there, sorry. Um, so I'm not going to show how I'm going to say this word, but ke, kapal? Kahal, kapal? Anyone? Um, that word, which is head in the Greek, is actually not meaning head as in head or hierarchy. It actually means source. Um, and so I have a quote here that says. Uh, source is only the appropriate meaning here, and source of every person being in Christ. So again, it's not about authority, this verse. It's about um, being a source to each other, about, you know, like like the rib and the woman giving birth and, and God being our source. I think there is something more than it being about head in terms of authority. Um, and also, when we're given the example of Jesus Christ as our, as authority over, as he is of the church, Actually, um, he's the servant king, he's the man who died on the cross, the God that died on the cross, completely submitting himself to untold pain and anguish. And so when I look at Jesus, I don't look at this authority figure who's beating me down, I see him as someone who's elevating me up, someone who is um, completely broken for us. And so if that's what we're asking of men in terms of um, leading us in marriage and church, then... um, I think that 's a very submissive role in terms of, of what we give to each other, so I think in terms of that, I think um, I think marriage has choices in it, and I think that those of us that are married um, probably have had to work out how our marriages work um, and but the only thing I want to say here is that I think i 've been told in the past that the only model that 's acceptable is that man 's the head and the woman 's submissive and I think, I just want to say that I think there is a choice, and I think how you work that out is up to you. I think that um, there are different times in my marriage with Ben where we're submissive to each other, but I don't necessarily think it always follows that it has to be one of us. Um, but as I said, I think that's something that you can work through. But just, I just really want to make sure that it's not that it's um, yeah, this is the only way that that's going to work, is that you, know, you are submissive on every level. Um, but I think it's a cooperation between the two. And, and also, we, when we look at uh, Corinthians 11 and Colossians 3, which are on the board, um, Again, it talks a headship, and the first one sort of almost has like headship in pairs. So, sort of like uh, head of the man is Christ, head of the woman of the man, head of Christ is God. Um, and so, you could take that as a very literal, lineal kind of model, like a hierarchy. But actually, I think if you did that, you'd be disturbing the hierarchy of the Trinity because Trinity has no hierarchy. And so, I think that's maybe actually also, it's. Again, sort of showing a different picture than maybe you could first read it. Um, it's talking about us being head, uh, headship, being source, and I think that is uh, really key there. And again, this second one, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as fit to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. So um, firstly, the words, let me just check them and say the right word before I quote it. Yeah, so the word submit is different. It has, um, when the word submit that's used for uh, slaves and children is very different to the word that's being used here for wives. Um, And again, we look at the context and we no longer accept slavery. So I think we need to be careful how we interpret things within the context. Okay, and then um, when we look into Timothy, Oh no, I'm gonna read this first, sorry. um, So we're gonna look a little bit at women in the church a little bit more now. Um, So in Ephesians and Philippians and Peter, um, we find different verses and they um, all describe in Christ, both male and female have common access to the Father in prayer, sharing of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the priesthood of all believers. So again, there's this real equality running through um, the verses that I've put up there. But then we do, there are some verses that are a lot more kind of clear-cut, that I could try and um, kind of diffuse and say, well, that's the way it was written, or um, when you look at the reducto theory, you know, that's been messed with here and there, and actually I'm not going to do that to the Bible because it's God's sacred text, but what I'm going to say is that um, we do need to look at the contextual things that are going on, and um, also that Paul is talking to the Pacific churches at Pacific times, that we don't have the complete, understand and what's happening in those congregations but also that the church was not one model that was kind of had been completely specified and it all did exactly the same thing Uh, the church at the time was evolving and changing it was trying to deal with the context it was in and deal with this new covenant completely radicalized and changed everything they'd known so to completely say that this verse so i better read it i know timothy so in Timothy 1, 2, um, verse 12, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Um, so it seems quite absolute and very kind of clear-cut. But I do think that Paul, through the rest of his letters, has said all this stuff about us being equal and being uh, no gender in Christ, that actually uh, we are one. And so I think this verse needs to be taken into context and into the um, authenticity of the rest of the bible and primarily looking at jesus in terms of what he did because he's our ultimate role model so if jesus was letting them teach and talk and prophesy and and um go out and evangelize then i think i think we're all right <laughs> i think if jesus said it it's okay more importantly if jesus did it we're even better aren't we okay so um i'm going to look at uh, matthew 22 verse 36 to 40 and um it's Jesus' greatest commandment So he's asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love your Lord with all your God, with all your heart and all your soul, with all your minds. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in other words, Jesus is releasing us to be kingdom. He's releasing us to be kingdom in other people's lives and um to respect that in each of us we i do think we need to be submissive to each other and it's something that sometimes i've struggled with i need to be submissive to my leaders and my husband and my son sometimes and my boss and and different things but i think submission is not something that takes something away from us but it's something that gives something to us it releases us into new things and um i think the woman that were was the perfect example of this i think her story um just fills me with joy that she is abundantly and wonderfully loved and noticed and seen by Jesus. Um, And so we're going to watch a little video. I have shown it before. I hope you've forgotten it. Um, But I do love it and um, I think it has real power. And then um, I think we have time to do something after it. So if you'd watch this.
2: I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known and you know me you actually know me all of me and everything about me every thought inside and hair on top of my head every hurt stored up every hope every dread my past and my future all i am and could be you tell me everything you tell me about me And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own.
1: Um, So I think she said, like, we are all loved. We are all made in God's image. And um, so what I want us to do, all of us, not just the women, I want us to pray for each other, that um, maybe turn to each other and uh, just pray that whatever God's made us to be, uh, male or female, rich or poor, clever or not, um, that he will release in us what God has given us. And yeah, just have a real time of empowering each other, speaking truth into each other. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. I hope it's been all right. And uh, yeah. So yes, please turn to each other.
0: In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say, I'm sorry. We give second chances to anyone. We also have lots of fun this house we definitely forgive. We also do loud and we give the best hugs. We are family and in this house that means we